0: You are listening to Hank's Infinite Playlist.
1: Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to Hank's Infinite Playlist. You've waited nearly a fortnight, and now we have returned. Tonight, I come to you at the lowest of lows. Beloved New York Met Jacob deGram has just departed for greener pastures and lower income taxes, leaving our favorite beleaguered franchise gasping for air. It's a devastating blow, one that made me question whether I could do this podcast tonight. But for the sake of our dedicated audience, I'm powering through. Joining me on my right here, as always, is the great big blue devil himself, Hank Tucker. And boy, do we have an especially strong episode for you. On episode four of Hank's Infinite Playlist, we are here to talk role models, the Paul Rudd, Sean William Scott, Elizabeth Banks masterpiece from 2008. We'll be hitting the usual segments and following masterful submissions by Chris Andrews and Matt Craig in successive weeks. We'll be joined by Massachusetts number one chiropractor, Ryan Bernstein, for our guest segment. Before we get started, a quick review of the rules. We're watching movies that Hank hasn't seen in eight film batches that are thematically similar one way or another. This is a group of movies my friends and I could not stop quoting as teenagers, and we still do it today, honestly, if I'm being totally honest with you. So I've dubbed these 2000s classic comedies potent quotables. At the end of each episode, Hank will assign the Hank score. In the true spirit of collaboration, I have absolutely no idea how this will work, and it's up to Hank if he wants to let us in on his rationale. When we reach the eighth and final episode of this batch, we will declare a winner. And who knows, maybe the winners will compete against each other someday. Now, let me ask you, Hank, art thou ready for the Battle Royale? Tis only a mere moment away. Before we get into the plot and the reviews, let's kick it off with Pre-Hank. All right, Hank. We're moments away from sitting down and watching Role
0: Models. What do you think it's about? You know, this is a little tougher than than Wedding Crashers. It's a little more vague. It has a little air of mystery to it. Um, I think it's about a couple young people who win some sort of contest or raffle to meet their role models, and then they 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 end up having just the, a long night out or a weekend out on a bender and find out a lot of things about these these other these people that they admired and um, they might turn out to be kind of dicks, um, but the, they'll bond with each other by the end of it and and all and and have a good time and that's what I think i I'm not going to spoil it, and I was
1: holding back a laugh there, but uh, let me just say that you are not even close. <laughs> All right, so uh, here we go. For those who do not remember the plot of Role Models, here's a quick summary, courtesy of Google. After salesman Danny, played by Paul Rudd, and Wheeler, played by Sean William Scott, trash a company truck, the court gives them a choice, jail time or community service in a mentoring program. Thinking to take the easy way out, the two overgrown adolescents find themselves paired with a teenager played by Christopher Minz plasse who's experiencing the pangs of first love, and a foul-mouthed fifth grader, Bobby J. Thompson, who needs an attitude adjustment. Now, Hank, before you get into the review, that honestly sounds nothing like the movie we just watched, but kick us off, do what you need to do, tell us what you thought.
0: Yeah, well I think Google describing them as salesmen is telling them a little short with all the, the minotaur uh busts and everything. Minotaur. But, um but you know, another good choice to add to Hank's Infinite playlist. It's a good vibes movie the whole way through. You know, you're smiling pretty much the whole movie. Um it was it was hard to pick a villain, you know, which we'll get to. Um, but, you know, you have a really good supporting cast highlighted by Dr. Ken Jong, uh, Duke alum and and super fan. We just had to, you know, throw that in there. Of course. Um, great performances, Augie, by Christopher Mintz-Plasse, who, of course, we all know who in love is McLovin. Um, in terms of the main characters, you know, if I'm evaluating Danny and Wheeler's effectiveness as role models, you know, I think Danny really takes the task seriously and does a great job of making Augie feel confident and comfortable in his own skin. Um... I'm not sure what exactly we're supposed to take away from the example Wheeler sets for Ronnie. Uh, you know, it's great that he gets through to him and becomes friends. Uh, he's still not exactly modeling a high level of maturity for for a fifth grader to follow. Um, but definitely you know, an uplifting, happy ending for all involved that, that comes from a great development of the characters throughout the movie. So, good movie. I think one thing you need to know about the Wheeler character is Sean William Scott was a mainstay
1: in the American Pie movies, which I'm... Pretty sure you haven't seen any of them, right? I have not seen those. Okay, yet, no. so he plays this character, Steven Stifler, in those movies. And it's it's a, I'm going to call it a derivative for the sake of this conversation because you've only seen role models. It's a derivative of Wheeler in this movie. But for a lot of his roles, he's very much typecasted into this kind of frat boy lifestyle, you know, this, this raunchy guy. Um, not the most aging well character as the years go, but. Um, you know, he, there's a couple roles where he opens up differently, but that's, that's important to know because if, you, if you've seen this movie, most people would have seen American Pie and they're like, oh, he's just being Stifler again. Um, another thing I want to point out is I don't think you can truly appreciate this movie watching it one time. This is kind of a rewatch and rewatch, rewatch kind of thing. Um, the amount of quotable lines that pop up after viewing it over and over again are just almost infinite, no pun intended. So uh, good review. You're right. Good vibes all the way through. It um, doesn't really have that super peak moment that you can't, we've kind of seen across the others, but it hardly ever dips at any points either. So, um, all right, let's take a quick break and then come back for our four segments. Kicking off the four segments, or as they'd say in the movie, let us gingerly touch our tips. <laughs> that was for you, Brett. I know you're listening. Um All right, most uncomfortable moment. Again, another movie where we're truly not filled with many of these or the ones that are designed to be uncomfortable actually end up being enjoyable. But what I wrote down is I I put down Paul Rudd's Serenade of Elizabeth Banks at the end of the movie. Now, I will agree and I will concede that this is a fitting end to the movie, but it is a textbook cringe moment. He can't sing, or at least... Actually, we don't know if Paul Rudd can sing. Maybe he's just, you know... Blown it on purpose, but he doesn't know the words. And I also think that the idea that this one gesture could, could have been the final piece in reviving of their relationship is a bit naive. Um, clearly, there were some fundamental issues going on here between them. If they called it quits on a seven-year relationship, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna boil this down more to an emotional response. Honestly, I know you had seen this for the first time, but when you get to this scene, I'm ready to shut off the movie. I, I, it just doesn't do it for me. Is is that a poor explanation? Am I copping out here?
0: no you know I, I I think um you know and this might be the the second movie in a row where you 've basically had the last scene i think is as your most uncomfortable moment that is so, correct um so so maybe it doesn 't take the landing i think it's it's it 's a wholesome way, and they they get back together and and she sees how much of an impact he 's had on this this nerd. Damn!
1: Um, <laughs> Drop the hammer. Am I like is something wrong with me? Like, do I just hate wholesome moments? Is that what we're learning right now?
0: Um, you know, i i th- <laughs> I think the 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 wedding crashers disruption of the the wedding was was uh de- definitely wrong. That's may- way more egregious.
1: I agree. I think maybe we're we're just we're in a, at an embarrassment of riches. That's kind of what I'm yeah. settling on here. I
0: but- I had a hard time picking an uncomfortable moment too because you know it, the it, this wasn't. Replete with with you know options uh, for this segment like like most of our other, uh, I think all of our first few movies have been. Um, I picked uh, the the dinner uh, with Augie oh. <laughs> Augie and and Danny and and, and Augie's parents well his mom and whoever Jim is her her, her mom's boyfriend. Um, he actually was one of the writers of the movie. I I did not know that. Yeah. Um, good to know. Um, I'm about to kill him off, but. Uh. <laughs> Um, you know, it's just—it's a pivotal scene in the movie, and it really kind of rebuilds Augie's trust for for Danny after uh, uh, Danny gets them both uh, kicked out of Lair, which is the most egregious sin he could possibly commit. But it—it it just makes you feel a lot of sympathy for Augie and, and and the bullying he's going through at the hands of his own parents, who should be supportive. And and it, it just—that's the one time in the movie where, you, where you, you feel kind of some sadness in your heart. Good point. Uh, and you have naturally
1: progressed us into our secret villain segment, which I will kick off because you kind of just did my job for me here. Oh,
0: the, the kill off a character segment.
1: No, we're going to secret oh, villain first. We're going first. to secret villain we're going first. To secret uh, villain first yeah. Okay. Sorry if I switched that up on you. Um, so I split this into two because there are two, the, the movie is basically two very independent plots that kind of inter, interject at certain points. But in reality, you know, you've got the Augie Danny plot and the Wheeler and Ronnie plot. So on the on the Augie Danny plot, the parents are the secret villain, okay? They're so unsupportive. They're covering up their own negligent parenting. They're bullying the kid. Clearly, you know, like, I mean, they don't really go on to elaborate why they're putting him in sturdy wings other than they want, like, him to have, like, quote-unquote normal friends or whatever. But clearly maybe they should just be kind of spending more time with him and accepting him and showing up at Lair in the end like they did Um, so I think, I think it's very clear. I think the movie's set up that way. I don't think it's the best secret villain answer. Um, but you know, not all of them are tens. Uh, the other side of that that I wrote down and okay, bear with me here. All right. I don't know this guy's name, but the party guy. All right. The one who invites Wheeler to the party and then later on, okay, now hear me out. Okay. sees Wheeler on the street, invites him to the party. Okay. You know, obviously Ronnie doesn't, doesn't want to uh, cramp his styles. So he's like, come on, let's go to the party. And Wheeler somehow in his mind, you know, comes up with, this is a good idea. I'll just bring a 10-year-old to, you know, like a party of like 30-year-olds. Uh, California, man. I guess that's how it goes. Um, this sets up the main conflict on the Wheeler side though because he obviously goes to the party and then Wheeler leaves Ronnie with this guy to play FIFA who's supposed to be watching the kid. And then, when, although it is Wheeler's fault for abandoning the kid. Um, but when he comes out, he asks, he asks this party guy Where's the kid? And he's like, what kid? You know, so um, I mean, putting aside the fact here that, you know, we're basically dancing over the fact that Wheeler's not a very great role model and uh, his character isn't the most morally high strung person out there. But again, secret villain here. We're trying to uncover the secret. And I think it's the part Yeah,
0: back. you know it's a good answer. He didn't sign up to be a babysitter. You know, Wheeler kind of thrust that onto him while he had to go do his business in the in the bedroom. Um, <laughs> Which you know, more power to him. But he, he has a responsibility to this ten year old that that he uh, abdicated. Um, Wheeler's pickup lines too, like. Like, that, that is just so egregious, you know? Like, I think
1: elementary school is hot, you know? And yeah. immediately yeah. he's in a bedroom with yeah. this
0: lady. And, and, and the the engaged uh, person that, that he didn't have to put in any effort to... I know, um, that was just... that was To, uh, to get that done either. Um, yeah, uh, good answers. Uh, my secret villain, uh, it might be, cop me out to do kind of a minor character. Uh, I'm going to do... Uh, I'm gonna say Martin Gary is his name. <laughs> uh, he's the longest tenured uh big in the Sturdy Wings program. He's 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 been doing it for five years. You know, if he had a nickel for every for every year he was there, <laughs> he could play Pac Man. He could play a game Pac Man. Um, but he's clearly ineffective. You know, and, and, and there's something to be said about um efficiency and just standing in people's way and not doing anything. To help these children whose parents want them to have role models and mentors, he's the worst role model in the whole movie, including Wheeler. Uh, that was a bold statement. And, and, and he's, he just has a hard time getting through to the kids, and he stands in the way, and, and he tries to take Augie away from his rightful role model of Danny, who's uplifting and supporting him, and and, and tries to make him something he's not. And and be on his parents' side, who are who are the real you know villains here, as you mentioned, and and he's just always you know he's not a major character, as I said, but but kind of just needling his way through in in ways that that go against um what what Danny and Wheeler were trying to do.
1: You know what's interesting is that we do not tell each other our answers in advance. But again, you are bridging me into another segment here. Uh, for my kill off a character, part of me wanted to say Augie's parents, as you hinted at that, that might happen. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to kill off Martin because, like you said, he's incredibly, incredibly ineffective. And I feel like now I owe our listeners an apology because we're overlapping so much. You know, usually we bring so different opinions to the table, but we're very on the same page here. But nobody likes to kiss ass, okay? And what did it for me the most, and actually, I later came to appreciate that this became like an inside joke in the movie, but anyone who misquotes the musical genius of Paul McCartney is immediately. <laughs> I don't want to say dead to me, but yeah, dead to me, okay? I do like how the movie it is an inside joke. The song he's he's singing is not a wing song. Um and in the credits after the movie, as I told you, it's it's they hired a uh Paul McCartney sound alike. Uh his name is Joey Curatolo. Um this is this is what Take Love Take Me Down the Streets isn't a wing song, yet an elaborate in-joke fake version that was created for the soundtrack and played during the credits by Joey Kiritolo, Paul McCartney Soundalike. So, appreciate the joke, but the character of Martin, misquoting Paul McCartney, you know, being a kiss-ass, um, you know, just just grinding my gears the whole way through. He's dead to me. I will say that I'm going to now apologize to my friend Chris, who is a listener, who once guests on this podcast because we love the Philip, the pizza delivery guy line, Um, and we've said that to each other many times. But yeah, sorry, Martin's got to go.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it is pretty remarkable that this is what episode four, and and I don't think we've ever had the same answer for the same segment in any podcast. I I might be remembering wrong, but um, yeah, I would kill off Jim, as I mentioned earlier, who is uh, Augie's... Not his dad. I Some guess sort of stepfather his relationship. Step, stepfather, mom's boyfriend, mom's husband, new husband, something. His character's just never really fleshed out. All you guys don't really need two parents. His mom kind of takes care of the whole villain role or or could do it all herself. Um, I like the he was banging his cousin. He was like, "Well, I was not banging her, but when I stopped kissing her,
1: when I found out it was my cousin."
0: Yeah, you know, he he's he's clearly trying to play the macho man role, you know, and, and you know, contrasting that with with Augie and 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 everything he tries to do. Um, I just I don't, you know, his teams don't really do much for me in the movie.
1: You know the 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 thing about this movie is it's it's very well crafted and put together. But there are kind of like, like you said, not fleshed out pieces to it, and maybe again we're being a little too nitpicky here. But I mean, so I gotta appreciate him. His name is Ken Marino, and he was one of the guys who wrote the movie um, along with Paul Rudd. And I can't remember the, the name of the. Th- I think there were four writers or three writers. Um, should look that up, but don't sue me for that. But fair choice. It was it was kind of in my wheelhouse on my list. Uh, we're gonna move on to the final segment here, the guest segment submitted by Massachusetts number one chiropractor. Uh, Ryan Bernstein, also former men's league basketball champion as well. Um, just to clarify, again, we have not listened to what he submitted before he submitted it. So we have no idea what this segment is going to be. We're going to, have to take a quick pause and I'll obviously edit in what his voice note because um, we don't have the technology to do that yet. But we're going to listen and then we will come back and answer Ryan's question.
0: Hi, Justin and Hank. Ryan here, big time fan. A long time listener for the past three weeks. Um, My question for you guys is, if you had to start an energy drink company, what would be the name, what would be your mythical creature that is your uh, mascot, what would be your slogan, and what color would your piss turn after drinking way too much of this uh, this drink over here? Uh, Thanks
1: in advance. Uh, Love you guys. Ryan, thank you so much. Excellent, excellent top tier question um, a lot we could do with this here, and you've put us on the spot, and I appreciate you keeping us on our toes like this. So, for mine, I will honor the spirit of Paul Rudd, and my energy drink would be called Sex Panther, okay? And the mythical creature that would go with it would be some form of the great Black Panther, um, that also is the iconic symbol of Sex Panther and Anchorman. Um, the slogan for it will be, 60% of the time, it works every time. They've done studies, you know. Um, and obviously, the color it would turn my piss is purple, because I am a Northwestern Wildcat and a Albany Great Dane. Uh, so go cats, go Great Danes, we're turning my piss purple. Um, I'm also stalling, because Hank has not yet come up with an answer. So, uh, thank you again, Ryan. Awesome question. Sex Panther energy drink. Paul Rudd lives forever, Brian Fantana, Hank, take it away.
0: You know, that was an excellent answer, and it was better than mine. And we should really fit in an Anchorman ref- reference into all of our episodes because it's the, the gold standard of comedy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, my answer, as uh, uh, this will all be on the same theme, which I'm sure won't surprise you. Uh, the name of the, the drink is Hellraiser. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, the, the mascot would be a devil. Uh, a a blue devil, to be more specific, um, just just pull one of the old Duke mascots out of the you know. Now it looks kind of intimidating. There there was an old mascot that there was a really smiling devil with the big head that looked really weird, and and kind of you know scary. Um, slogan would be "Feel the burn." <laughs> <laughs> this is so bad it's good. I know, <laughs> and 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 the piss obviously would be Duke blue. Um, in, the, in the same vein of supporting our alma mater.
1: Ryan, I'm disappointed that you didn't tell us what your energy drink would be called and what your mythical creature was. So I'll have to give you a follow-up call at some point so we could learn. But very well done. Uh, I would say we're three for three in incredible segments. Uh, they just keep building on each other every week. Uh, we're going to take a short break and come back for the illustrious Hank score. Stay tuned.
0: Okay, Hank, the floor is yours. Deliver the Hank score. Yeah, you know, I was a little late to, to be recording this podcast um, because I spent probably a good 10 minutes in my room over here Googling uh, Dungeons & Dragons scoring systems. Um, Shout and, out Brett Knight. And and I don't think I made really much progress at all in my comprehension. But um, in terms of the the armor class, which as far as I could tell... Starts at like ten and goes up to it was very unclear what the maximum was. But I'm gonna give this a twenty-five, which as far as I know is is pretty good. But if I if I just embarrass myself in front of all our Dungeons and Dragons fan listeners, um There's I'm literally sorry, one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry to Brett if I butchered this, but I'm giving it a twenty-five.
1: Alright, uh twenty-five. So we've had a twenty-five, a four and a half stars, a what was it a B plus or a, a B plus, a B plus and a 8.5. 8.5. Yeah. So there is no discernible way to like tell who's in the lead or where any of these movies rank yet. Is that correct?
0: That That's correct. That That's the intention.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to rack my brain and figure out if I can decipher that at all. But uh, yeah, well said, Hank. A big thank you to my kinsman, Hank, for another spectacular episode. Thank you to Ryan. Thank you to every one of our listeners. Thank you to all of our past contributors, Matt and Chris as well. Thank you to all of our future contributors, whoever you may be out there. Thank you to Anchor. Um, And thank you to Rockaway Beer, which, you know, Kyle, if you're listening, Hank enjoyed a nice Rockaway Beer while we were recording this episode and watching this movie. Um... We will return before the fortnight ends with another Paul Rudd classic. I love you, man. But until then, I bid you good morrow and to sleep
0: perchance to dream. Good night.